that's how it starts. We've begun again. Um, welcome back, everyone, to Super Duperstitious. The paranormal podcast with a science kind of spin on it. And uh, where we'll dig up some interesting and spooky stories from you. From you? We're going we're gonna <laughs> to reach gonna out for you We're going to solicit you for some yeah. stories. We're going to wait here yeah, until you so give us what we need. Anytime. Okay, fine. We'll just dig them up ourselves. Um, we have for you today... I believe this is the winter solstice. I'm Jake. And I'm Wyatt. <laughs> also known as winter solstice yeah. to my I'm friends. Jake, and this is my friend winter solstice. <laughs> um, yeah, so this episode, if you're listening to it the day it comes out, <laughs> comes out on the northern hemisphere's winter solstice. Indeed. And uh, in in uh, honor of that, we have for you today some stories that have to do with snowy conditions. And just general coldness, I yeah, guess. General, yeah, general general frostiness. Should we mention now as well? Burp. We don't should keep, mention that for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe don't keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we mention now that we are recording this episode and the next episode in one super duper mega session? Yes. So we'll see how... Um, right now you're hearing us at only, yeah. what are we at, like a few, like a minute or two a in. a moment in, yeah. Uh, by the end of the next episode, we'll be a solid, like, I'm assuming about two hours deep. Likely so, yes, indeed. And so... Uh, yeah. Anyway. If you want to if if nothing else, you can chronicle our descent into madness. Exactly, yeah. So keep tabs on us. Be sure to send an ambulance back in time to help us out when it gets too crazy. <laughs> and uh yeah, I guess I'll kick us off today with the snowiness. Sounds good to me. So to introduce my snow story, um, I'd like to tell the tale of the burning feet. Which what? I have pulled with some light revision from www.scaryforkids.com slash burning dash feet. <laughs> I actually found that website while I was looking for stories this, this week, too, and it's, <laughs> it sounded like it was... Um, it's a little freaky of a name. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, this is scary okay. for kids. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then they have, uh, as their subtitle, scarier for adults, <laughs> which I'm like, what are you what? guys even talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're going to make it... No, okay. Anyway, that's that's a topic for another episode. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So, there was once a wealthy man who enjoyed hunting and wanted to venture into a part of northern Canada where few people had ever been. As my screen goes black, he traveled to a trading post and tried to find a guide to take him, but no one would do it. It was too dangerous, they said. At last, he met a First Nations trapper by the name of Defago. The man seemed to know a lot about trapping, First Nations lore, and how to survive in the wilderness and the hunter felt lucky to have him as a guide. In dire need of money, Defago agreed to take the hunter to the best hunting grounds he knew. After a long journey, the two men made camp by a large frozen lake. With snow blanketing the land as far as the eye could see, they hunted for three days straight with nothing to show for it. On the third night, a windstorm came up. The two men hunkered down in their tent and were kept awake by the wind howling and the trees whipping back and forth. To catch a glimpse of the storm, the hunter opened the tent flap. Despite the furious sound of howling wind, there wasn't a breath of air stirring, and the trees stood perfectly still. Hmm. The more he listened, the more it sounded as if it were calling Defago's name. Shit. Defago, it called. <laughs> Defago! <laughs> <laughs> I must be losing my mind, the hunter thought. But as the hunter crept back inside, he saw that Defago had gotten out of his sleeping bag. He was huddled in a corner of the tent, his head buried in his arms. 
What's this all about? the hunter asks. It's nothing, DeFago said. It's just the wind playing tricks on your ears. But the wind continued to call to him, and DeFago became more tense and more restless. Listen, I don't know the wind. I don't know what it's saying. Don't, don't listen to He's it. He's going to ask if I've got the money. Don't tell him anything. <laughs> I'm not here. <laughs> um, at last, the man flew into a panic and jumped to his feet. His eyes were wild, and he was trembling. He pulled back the tent flap and was about to leave when the hunter grabbed him by the arm. Where are you going? The hunter shouted. You can't leave me out here alone. He was cut off by a thunderous roar of wind coming across the lake. The trees shook with the force of it, and the campfire, nearly snuffed out by the blow, flickered in the darkness. There was a tremendous rushing noise as something swept over the tent, almost tearing it from the ground. DeFago was shaking with fear. All of a sudden, he broke loose and fled from the tent. The hunter could hear him screaming as he went, Oh, my feet! Oh, my fiery feet! <laughs> That's right. He was playing NBA... <laughs> NBA Jam. NBA Jam, thank you. <laughs> um, he watched as his guide ran off and was swallowed up by the darkness. As his desperate calls faded into the night, the wind calmed and everything was quiet again. At the first sign of daylight, the hunter followed DeFago's tracks in the snow. The trail led through the woods, down toward the lake, and further out onto the ice. But soon he noticed something strange. The footprints DeFago had taken got longer and longer as they went. They were so long no human being could have made them. It was as if something had helped him to hurry away. The hunter followed the tracks out to the middle of the lake, but, they, but there they disappeared. At first he thought that DeFago had fallen through the ice, but there wasn't any hole. Then he thought that something had pulled him off the ice and into the sky, but that made no sense. As he stood wondering what had happened, the wind picked up again soon as it was howling uh, soon it was howling as it had the night before, and he heard DeFago's voice. The hunter packed up camp <laughs> and <laughs> after a fraught and lengthy journey finally reached the trading post alone. He asked around, but no one had seen DeFago since his original departure, and no one could offer an explanation for what had happened. Just as the hunter's heart was sinking, an old man took him aside and, in a hushed and cautious tone, whispered, Could it have been the Wendigo? Wendigo, repeated the hunter. What do you mean? They say it comes with the wind, said the old man. It calls your name and tries to trick you. Once it has you in its clutches, it drags you along at great speed until your feet are burned away. Then it drags you some more and burns away more of you than that. They say it carries you into the sky. That's the story I heard as a child, but it's an old legend. No one knows if it's true. So, we're talking about the Wendigo. We are talking about the Wendigo. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the story you alluded to uh, back when you first mentioned the Wendigo at the end of episode 5, I want to say? I don't recall the episode. Whatever, it was the one we talked about. Like I mentioned that um, the, you talked about the Montauk Project, and I talked about the... Yes. Um, the Dyatlov Pass incident. That's right. Yeah, the Dyatlov Pass incident is indeed where that came up. Cool. So it's cool to see, hear the whole story in full like that. So, that, I mean, that's just one telling where the Wendigo oh, features. Yeah. Um, there are many, many legends. Um, and in fact, funny enough, I, I actually love that story. And I remember hearing it as a, a child myself. But um, <laughs> it was scary for this kid. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of only vaguely maybe alludes to the sort of archetypical qualities of the Wendigo in legend. Right. And for those of you who don't know, this is a legendary creature which emerged from Algonquin lore 
uh, folklore, um, sort of like a mythical cannibal monster or evil spirit. Yeah. Um, which is said to haunt the northern forests of the Atlantic coast and Great Lakes regions across both the United States and Canada. It doesn't see vo- it doesn't see national borders. Come on. <laughs> its appearance varies by story. I mean, in the one I just told, it's kind of this ethereal evil, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it often takes the form of like a gaunt, lipless human. <laughs> it's really gruesome, kind of like what we were seeing um, in your <laughs> <laughs> story last week. Story yeah. last week, um, <laughs> or this sort of grisly, half-human, half-animal beast whose skin is like hanging from its bones. Um, here's a description of the Wendigo by uh, Basil or Basil, depends on where you're from. Uh, Johnston, who is an uh, Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario, um, and I ripped this shamelessly from Wikipedia. Quote. The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation, its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from superations of the flesh. If you don't know what that means, superation is the process by which pus forms in a wound. Oh, lovely. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, mm. of death and corruption. Gross. A little gross. So, in Ojibwe lore, um, and those of other tribes, uh, Wendigos are often described as giants, uh, many times larger than human beings, and... Part of this had to do with the concept that whenever a Wendigo ate another person, it would grow in proportion to the meal it had just eaten. Oh, wow. So that it could never be full. And for that reason, and many others, Wendigos are portrayed as simultaneously gluttonous and emaciated. And as such, there are they're sort of seen as the embodiment of gluttony, greed, and excess. Okay. So that's often how they feature in stories. Usually someone breaks like a natural law and they're punished by being attacked or killed by the Wendigo or either, you know, either mean or innocent person. Either way you want to take it, they can be either eaten by the Wendigo just for sort of evil reasons or they can be possessed and that's the worst of all. They are possessed by the Wendigo and they wind up cannibalizing their family or ones close to them. Okay. You mentioned the idea of um, breaking natural laws. Is it possible, I'm just trying to remember from stories of these, to become a Wendigo, not to be possessed, but to become a Wendigo by breaking natural laws? I thought like one of them was Mm. eating human flesh, or maybe that's just like... Oh, you know, I think you might be right about that, actually. I didn't run into it on this pass. Gotcha. And that could be... But I think you're totally right about that. And it could be either a variation of or just a derivation of the thing you said about the idea of being possessed to then cannibalize their family or whatever. Right, right. I think you're right, though, about the the having tasted human flesh in the first place can be sort of like a quick pa- an easy pass <laughs> yeah. to, to Wendigo status. <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's it called? The Disney Fast Pass to get to the front That's of the line? That's right. You get to cut all the other people waiting to become Wendigos. <laughs> hey, man, I've been waiting all day to eat my family and loved ones. <laughs> um, and actually, to that end, that's where I've chosen to take this story today which is that as creepy and cool as these legends are, and, you know, they're obviously very much rooted in sort of teaching stories or just fun sort of folklore, there are cases of a very real Wendigo psychosis Hmm. in which often it was dealt with by frontiersmen and settlers who were suggested to have been, in fact, possessed by Wendigo. Oh, wow. 
after periods of starvation. Huh. And so I have a few accounts of this for you now. That's cool. Yeah, go for it. So in 1661, the Jesuit Relations, which was an annual report detailing Jesuit missions and their contacts and explorations with First Nations people and their cultures way back when that was like a thing that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Jesuit nation uh, relations, the Jesuit nations, <laughs> 1661, they report, and I quote, what caused us greater concern was the intelligence that met us upon entering the lake, namely that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous where they were to await our coming had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They are afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, nor frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of disease, which affects their imaginations and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men, like veritable werewolves, and devour them voraciously without being able to appease or glut their appetite, ever seeking fresh prey, and the more greedily the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputies, and, as death is the sole remedy among those simple people for checking such acts of murder, racist, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. Wow. That's so interesting. So I didn't think, I um, I wasn't expecting that to be an actual like psychological condition that would cause all of the symptoms of being possessed by a Wendigo. That's really cool. It's actually funny that you say that, because that, there's an exact story like that that I found when I was trying to look for a story today just perusing reddit and there's a bunch of different prompts people say oh what's the scariest true story you know right right and one of them was something that this one kid's grandfather used to tell him about his time in the war oh in the british army and at one point they were stationed in somewhere um in europe i don't remember what it was in poland or where they were they're in some village for a while right there's a horrible winter they're cut off from supplies and people started to starve and at one point a, a bunch of children started to disappear as well, like, uh, I can't remember if it was first one of the privates was gone, and then children started to disappear, and eventually, people um, said, "Okay, you guys, you're you're the military, like you're here occupying and stuff. Right, deal with this. Right." And so they finally, they I can't remember how they ended up tracking things down. They ended up finding this cave on the side of a mountain <gasps> in the snow, and they uh, they shined a light inside, trying to see what was happening. They couldn't see. Suddenly, they started getting shot at from inside. Whoa! So they, so they all immediately fired back. Until there was silence, and then they waited oh, for a while. Wait, I think I know. Go on, go okay. on, go on. So then they went in. Uh, finally, one of them went inside to see if they had actually got the, whoever was shooting at them. Right. And he came back looking just totally ashen and gray. Uh. And so they went inside to see what had happened, and it was the missing private. He was the one who was shooting back. They had actually shot him straight through the heart when they were um, firing oh, at wow. him. Oh, wow. Lucky shot. And around him were a bunch of mutilated and partly eaten bodies of all the missing children oh my god so, dude so now it's not like, it's not like you know, just someone going crazy from starving or whatever and like maybe the pressure like the, just the stresses of being right. at war right but also it sounds a lot like the wendigo syndrome thing you're describing now that is scary for kids dot <laughs> <Yes>. com <laughs> 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 that is creepy and that does sound very much like this um i kind of like to describe it as cannibalism plus <laughs> career cannibalism <laughs> or continuous concerted cannibalistic consumption <laughs> you ain't just eating someone because you have to you are kind of making a job out of it yes <laughs> and there are 
many accounts of Wendigo possession or psychosis afflicting First Nations people, but the there's still a lot of debate over its status as an actually diagnosable state yeah. or condition. Part of that is it kind of doesn't happen that much anymore. Uh, from what I've read, there's as as society or people in general uh, where this would take place have become less and less rural and sort of removed from hubs of you know resource and yeah. such. It's the cases, or at least reported cases, have dropped. Not like there was ever a ton to begin with, but it's sure. just one of those things. I mean, if there were enough that it was a story that could be spread, then surely it was happening with some degree of frequency. Right, quite so. That's really interesting. And so, yeah, it makes sense that as people get less and less remote, all the conditions necessary for it to happen would would probably drop too. Right. Huh. But I have for you one of the better known and I guess relative to the first example or first account, more recent accounts of Swift Runner, who was a Cree trapper and guide who was eventually executed for Wendigo psychosis. Wow. And so I by, also have... So executed by whom? Executed by sort of like a Frontiers men's police force, if, if you will. Okay. Um, that's obviously not what they were called, but uh, Catholic Catholic priests got involved in the mix. Okay, and then, so it's uh, a European... European, European extension, ex- yeah, gotcha. exactly. And I have a picture of him and of the outcome of the story for you, which I will share in once, okay, I've, okay, once okay, I've told okay, the story. Once enough. I've told the story. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also, I got this from Knowledge Nuts. I <laughs> took some of this from another page called Executed Today. And I'm drawing on some of it from Rampage, Canadian Mass Murder and Spree Killing by Jeez. an author that I've forgotten the name of. And so I, w- I will uh, launch launch right on in. Go for it. So, in the winter of 1878, Swift Runner took his family, his wife, six children, his mother-in-law, and brother out into the forest. Like you do. Like you do. He, he was a raging alcoholic and um, apparently was sort of ex- excommunicated, exiled from both his First Nations community as well as the Frontiersman's community for his, like, rambunctiousness. Hmm. And so he sort of, I guess, was trying to make a go of it out on his own and took his family with him. So several months later, as spring rolled around, Swift Runner staggers out of the woods and into a nearby Catholic mission. When the priests asked what was wrong, Swift Runner said his entire family was dead. Jeez. During the winter, he hadn't been able to find any food, and slowly but surely, all of his relatives had starved to death. The priests were somewhat suspicious, however. Swift Runner looked pretty healthy. Why hadn't he succumbed to starvation? Plus, they knew quite a few other Cree who'd had a pretty successful winter, hunting-wise. Hmm. The priests were also disturbed by Swift Runner's constant nightmares, <laughs> as he would wake up in the night screaming at the top of his lungs. Their sp- suspicions were piqued when Swift Runner was, auspiciously enough, caught attempting to lead a group of children out into the woods. Oh my god. Convinced he'd killed his family, the priests went to the authorities. The police, if you will, put Swift Runner under arrest and ordered him to lead them to his winter campsite. 
When the group eventually arrived upon the campsite, Swift Runner raised his head to the sky and let out a horrifying howl, apparently. Mm. Uh, around them laid a truly horrifying scene. Bones were strewn about everywhere, some broken in half and hollowed out. Though Swift Runner attributed this to bear and other animal scavengers, they discovered a child's sock crammed into an empty skull. And yeah, bears don't do that. At la- yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my god, these are some crazy bears, dude. <laughs> um, and they also found a pot full of human fat. Oh no. Like, this actually happened. God. When they returned to camp, Swift Runner purportedly confessed to, quote, making beef of his family, Mm. that he'd long been possessed by an evil spirit. Apparently, he legit poked his finger into the socket of a skull brought as evidence to the authority's desk and muttered, this is my wife. Oh, my God. Oh, isn't that just gross? Yeah. So... When he went to trial um, the following winter, the jury did not buy the supernatural story. And after just 20 minutes, they were like, you're done. And they sentenced him to death. 20, so Yeah, I mean, it's, 20 <laughs> it seems minutes. like the evidence is uh, not really in his favor. Not, not at all. So, yeah, I guess whatever one makes of it, I think the Wendigo is a spooky figure and a useful narrative tool. Mm. But I like that the Wendigo psychosis makes for a frightening and kind of very real phenomenon. Yeah, and I'm curious um, which came first. If there was like a spooky story that evolved to fit this particular narrative. Yeah, Or right. if people witnessed this happen and created a story to kind of describe or explain it. Yeah, true enough. And I mean, why not simultaneously as Certainly, well? Certainly, yeah. Because, um, you know, I know the Wendigo legend goes very far back, Mm -hmm. but I would wonder how far back this kind of beyond desperation cannibalism goes as well. Yeah. And also just, you know, if it's still happening, if there are cases out there that maybe I just didn't come across today because maybe too limited of a search term or something like this. Um, specifically looking for Wendigo associated things where just like your your story that you told, which was so perfect too, with the um uh soldiers. Yeah. That whole thing. Because I never would have associated that with Wendigo stuff because I didn't realize that was how that could work. Certainly. But there you go. It's same kind of thing maybe going on there. So mm. yeah. So that's my my little winter tale. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs> happy, happy winter solstice. Yeah, happy winter solstice. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, that's the actual thing this is coming it's the, out on. It's the winter spookstice. Spookstice. Yes. Um, cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. Sweet show. Oh, wait. You didn't show me the pictures yet. <gasps> oh. Let's record that, too. It's recording. Show me oh, the pictures, shit. damn it. <laughs> um, so here you go. Here is Swift Runner. Looks like, uh, you know... Now, is this before or after? I think this is after. Okay. He doesn't look f- like a hungry guy. He doesn't look... Yeah, well, he's <laughs> full of aunts and uncles and kids, man. <laughs> yes. But yeah, he doesn't look like a... doesn't look like an outright villainous dude, oh, necessarily. Yeah, he's like a, just a guy. He's, he's just, just a guy. He's guy, you know? Got a cool coat. Got a big old <laughs> spooky chain. <laughs> yes, a very big chain. <laughs> um, and uh, that's the aftermath. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's less less cool. Mm-hmm. Straight up pile That's of bones. A lot of and bones. Stuff. Yep. Bones evidence. So oh, man, little spooky. Yeah. Especially because it's not like I mean those are skulls like cleaned off skulls. Right. So he had to like be going. I mean he said he had a pot of human fat. So he was going to town with these bodies as far as yeah. not just like um 
Donner Party kind of uh, subsistence thing. Like really, uh, you quite making a yeah project out of it. Yes, exactly. Well, damn, it's a little nasty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one thing to look out for in the winter time if you're around relatives while you're hearing this, or <laughs> you know, you see that glint in your uncle's eye. Maybe just uh, <laughs> don't go in the woods with them. Don't go in the woods. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't let them start eating you. <laughs> And yeah, you'll be just fine. This has been our PSA for Yeah, day. exactly. This was all a PSA. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't eat your kids. Scare your kids. Don't eat your kids. All righty. All right. So we'll switch gears over here. In the interest of fitting into our you know winter slash cold weather theme. Let's do it. Uh, I chose a story from the hemisphere where it is now officially summer because I am a rebel, Wyatt. Obviously, I wish there had been a real life version of John Carpenter's The Thing to Ooh. go by. That would have been pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here we are. Actually, I say that there was one thing that came up, a thing called Organism 46B, Ugh. which is apparently a cryptid thing. Uh, supposedly, Russian scientists found something. In Lake Vostok. So they didn't find the thing. They found something. Something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're close. You're close. So Lake Vostok is a lake uh, about two miles below the surface of the ice in Antarctica. Um, it's pretty good size. It was actually kind of a theorized thing at one point. People thought, okay, the weight of ice in this particular region could cause so much pressure that the temperature could rise at that level to actually melt the ice right and they did some like um you know sonar testing uh, testing and say hey actually it seems like there is liquid water down there and starting in um i can't remember when exactly we started drilling down there and stuff a few different teams all together um russia included mm-hmm. so supposedly the russians found a creature down there um however the story is just so beyond absurd and just clearly creepypasta like they're saying uh. that they'd gone down and divers had gone down into the <laughs> lake they and went through a long tunnel of the a ice. A two-mile tunnel through the ice <laughs> yeah. into, um, into an underground lake. It just makes you wonder if they didn't drill a hole that was like a really fun slip and slide. They're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two-mile-long slide. That'd be great. Yes. And then they did shooters down it. They were like taking shots down a two-mile luge. <laughs> the the, um, the stars like of this weird like 14-tentacled squid thing Ooh. that was super intelligent. Of course. And was like hypnotic and could shape shift <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, mm-hmm. was like and killed several members of the team in different ways. Oh, and they finally ended up somehow capturing it and bringing it back up. But then um, it's been a secret since the, the, gov- the Russian government has been hiding it because Putin wants to use it as a weapon of some sort. <laughs> it just gets more and more insane as it goes. Right, right. At first I was like, oh, they found an organism thinking it was like, you know, some kind of like something small because, you know, any yeah, right. anything coming out of that hole has be. been like they found bacteria and stuff. Right. And That's what concern, you'd expect. Right? Yeah. And a lot of concern has been um, contamination from the uh, kerosene antifreeze that the russians were using for drilling oh and so there's like they've been trying to weed out okay which of these species are contamination which of them could actually be uh, from the I lake see. yeah um, but the diameter of the hole is just for boring it's i mean i think it's like maybe at most a foot it's across that's boring jeez yeah and so uh so that was uh <laughs> it seemed like a promising thing at first and then it quickly proved not to be mm-hmm. instead we're going to um Instead of going for another marine tale from the Antarctic, and this time it's not just sounds. Hey, now. This story comes pretty much entirely from a Mysterious Universe article written by Bob Morphy. So if any of the following sounds particularly good, that's just because it's all quoted verbatim from Mr. Morphy and not written (laughs) by me. (laughs) Let me begin. This is, yeah, I'll, I'll break off if it's not a quote. Otherwise, it is. Certainly. The ocean's vast, mysterious depths are full of enigmatic oddities that have never been seen by the light of day. 
But while there are few who would deny that the seas are teeming with as yet undiscovered life forms, most would be reticent to admit that there are any truly gargantuan species waiting to be found in the fathomless deep. Already a little bit more purple prosy than, uh, <laughs> yeah, than I would probably go with. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, it would seem that the inscrutable Ninjen is just such a creature. Ninjen? The Ninjen, which translates as human in Japanese, Ooh. was so dubbed by the Pacific fishermen who claimed to have seen the colossal creature in the 1990s. Colossal creature? Yes. Is it Ninjen or Ningen? Uh, it could be Ningen. I think, um, I, I'm thinking, I guess maybe I thought of that because the word for a person from Japan is Nihonjin. Nihonjin? Oh, okay, I thought cool. might have a similar, but I, maybe that's hey. with a J instead of a G. I don't, I don't know. even know. Yeah, maybe like, it is Ningen. Maybe I should have, should have done more research. Oh, God. Nonsense. I'm so unprepared. Uh, the professional anglers were astounded by the size of this monster and even more shocked by this ostensibly albino beast's distinctly humanoid form. Ooh. So I didn't realize until pacing that particular sentence that this means I have once again chosen a pale humanoid for my story. <laughs> <laughs> so don't ever let me get you shit for uh, wanting to talk about Bigfoot <laughs> ever again. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, said to be between 60 and 90 feet in length, the Ningen what has the been f- described as being a humongous, blubbery, whale-like creature mm-hmm. whose smooth, pale form vaguely resembles the head, torso, and appendages of a human being. Weird. Uh, that having been noted, there are some eyewitnesses who have testified that it has a mermaid-like tail rather than two hind legs, hmm. and others who insist that there are what resemble hands complete with five fingers at the ends of its tendril-like arms. Weird. These beasts have supposedly been seen in the Pacific, Antarctic, and Atlantic Oceans and are always described as being extraordinarily large with a whitish complexion. Hmm. Many observers have also reported that these animals have no distinct facial features save for two huge eyes and a mouth-like slit. Hmm. According to most accounts, these creatures are primarily nocturnal and tend to thrive in frigid polar waters. Initial reports of these marine animals were said to have emanated from the tail end of the 20th century, which is strange considering how many centuries mariners have been traversing the world seas Yeah, right. with nary a mention of these bizarre and purportedly gigantic beasts. You'd think you'd see them more than that. Yeah. Uh, but before we try and figure out what these things actually are, let's take a look at what little history we have regarding these captivating creatures. Huh. While the first known reports of these mammoth monstrosities are apparently untraceable, <laughs> it is accepted that the Ningen did not gain any real notoriety until a description of these creatures appeared online in a Japanese forum known as Two Channel, which I'm guessing is kind of like Four <laughs> Chan. I don't know. Four Chan, yeah, maybe, maybe less horrible than Four Chan <laughs> by exactly half a measure. Yes. Uh, the individual posting claimed to have been working on a governmental whale research vessel when one of these creatures rose up from the depths. It was like, don't forget to turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> According to the account, the anonymous crew member, along with fellow researchers, scrambled up onto the deck to catch a glimpse of what they initially thought was a foreign submarine floating mm-hmm. on the horizon. However, as the research vessel approached the object, it became evident that they were not dealing with a machine-tooled structure, but a living, breathing behemoth. Hmm. The crew stared in awe at this biological anomaly until it submerged moments later. Hmm. There are persistent rumors that suggested that members of this research team managed to snap a series of extraordinary photos of the thing during their brief encounter, but these images were allegedly suppressed in order to spare the government-funded research team the shame and financial ruin of being associated with this unusual event. What? The shame and financial ruin? Sometimes we think about government cover-up type of things, how how it might be framed. And in that case, it's like, 
if it's a scientific research team and they find something truly astounding, like incredible, wouldn't you want to yeah. be the first to be like, we found this crazy fucking thing? But it could also be like you could see the government using that as an excuse for why they would have to hide it or something. Like, oh yeah, no, it's like, oh, true. You don't want that to. It's the so, perfect conspiratorial it's, yes, exactly. loophole. Yep. As soon as this account was published online, word of this enigma spread across the globe and a genuine pop culture phenomenon was born. In November of 2007, the buzz surrounding these mysterious monsters and the accompanying photographs were, uh, was so intense that the editors of Japan's Mew magazine decided to publish an article regarding this perplexing puzzle. Hmm. Mew, much like Fate magazine, is a periodical that is dedicated to the dissemination of information regarding all manner of paranormal phenomena, and their article about the Ningen proved to be a huge hit. Mm -hmm. The author of the piece speculated that these as-yet-unidentified creatures were likely um, indigenous to the icy waters of the southern oceans. Mew even displayed a Google Maps image of what was evidently a Ningen swimming in the South Atlantic off the coast of Namibia. What? So I I couldn't find the particular magazine article online but i did find the supposed google maps photo oh so let me show that to you i bet it's gonna be a dead whale <laughs> uh wrong one. gross i'm kidding i didn't i wrong don't see one it. wrong one hang on so many porn tabs god damn it <laughs> um why do you have three weather channel tabs open they're all for the same town they're all for the same town yeah <laughs> here we go this is the picture all right let me see here um okay i wasn't able to find like i also wasn't able to actually call up those coordinates you can see on the screen there yeah on google map but that was more of a me issue what i might try <laughs> and do before the release of this episode is see if i can find that particular area i, I was kind of able to get the coordinates in and found an area that was off the coast of namibia but okay. um, i gotta do the thing with i guess google earth maybe where you can that, dial back the clock it. yeah and then get to i think it says 2000 yeah 2008 and see if i could see this same image it's i mean i can see what they're seeing but i also feel like it's hard to say whether that's not just waves waves breaking. or just a whale or any number of things yeah. it's just so many different ways pareidolia could make you see whatever you want to quite, see quite so but hey i'm still intrigued lay it on me soon after the article was published a mini deluge of accounts, photos, and grainy video footage flooded the web. Hell. But most agree that these unverified reports and images constitute little in the way of real evidence. Mm-hmm. Most of it is pretty clearly fabricated, actually. It's really annoying. It's like, it's like so many things that are obviously just Such bullshit. goofy, crappy artwork. With like a spooky soundtrack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, uh, actually, I have... Maybe I'll have to play it after. Go on, go on. This is for the next episode. So okay. anyway, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> Jump in the gun there, Shell. I know, I know. All right, none of this, however, has dissuaded those who believe that Ningen are corporeal life forms from speculating that the Japanese government is actually taking these sightings very seriously hmm. and amassing a huge body of evidence regarding their existence. No pun intended. In fact, there are scads (laughs) of rumors concerning men in black like agents warning witnesses to remain silent about the creatures they claim to have encountered. So a few Ningen proponents also claim that the bulk of the shoddy photographs and half-baked stories that have been publicly released regarding these creatures were created by this anonymous and clandestine organization to cover up the truth and dismiss the whole notion these things might be real as they're, the ravings of crackpots and hoaxers they're trying to boost the noise on the signal yeah so in other words the <laughs> argument is that these things are so real 
that all the obviously <laughs> fake photos and videos that out there had to be released in order to bury the realness under right. all that fakeness. Yeah, you know, it's the <laughs> same reason we wear tin hats. Yes. Any student of ufology will realize that this was the same tact used by the U.S. and many other governments to debunk the very real UFO phenomenon during the 20th century. Right. Skeptics suggest that this method was employed to reduce their ever-growing paranoia regarding flying saucers during the Cold War, but many others hmm. believe that they were um, doing more than preventing panic. They were, and still are, hiding one of the greatest secrets ever told. Hmm. Or never told, rather. <laughs> greatest secrets never told. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Could the Ningen be yet another chapter in the long lineage of governmental cover-ups? Hmm. Whether or not these titanic beasts are being concealed by the Japanese authorities, one big question remains. What could they be? Let's go to the photos, Wyatt. <laughs> I want to see some photos. <laughs> Lean on me. Um, so here's one. Ugh. Yeah, it's just a great big thing in the water, which, again, looks like it's either just someone messing with the um, lightness and contrast on some water itself to make it look like there's a, a light patch there. Be. Or, yeah, I think it's... It, it's it a strangely low-res photo for like something that you'd think you'd be able to take a higher-res picture of. Yeah. So that's one iteration of it. Here's another version. This is a obviously that CG is thing. Comical looking. Comical looking, but that is um kind of an idea of what a lot what? of these things are supposed to look like. I see. As far as the dark weird eye biologically speaking, it seems improbable. It doesn't look like anything that could have evolved from anything into this. Yeah. Like it's just like a it totally arbitrary so one. goofy. It's yeah. an assemblage of yes. parts. <laughs> And then here's one of my favorites. That you know what it kind of reminds me of? What's that? Um, you ever play the Zelda games? Yes. The Zora. And let me just show you an image of these get, guys. Get an N64. Because it does look, this looks pretty like 64-bit too as far as it the does. number of polygons involved. There you go. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's Zora people. Yep. <laughs> I'm actually impressed that I have, hadn't come across actual like just graphics from the video game. Just yeah. posed into the ocean somewhere. <laughs> oh, look at that one. Oh, my. <laughs> um, right. And here's one more that I like uh, because see. it's kind of silly. So, Oh, that one's at least more interesting. It looks like it could be an actual real photograph, unlike seems, the others, which it don't. It seems like it was done by the same person who took the above the above shot as right. well. Yeah, it's um, either faked the same way or, conversely, this could just be an iceberg. Yeah, that's true. Very, very true, actually. So if it is an actual photo, it looks like it's a photo, um, like, of, yeah, just not of an actual creature. It's interesting looking. Let's go to the video. Why? Oh, there's a video. <laughs> <laughs> like this. <laughs> so this is uh, taken from some sort of... Oh, my God. Submarine. It looks like a fish to me. <laughs> <laughs> why, why? That is a fish. Oh. Uh, so this is um, a video from a submarine, uh, I believe, in Japan. Okie doke. And uh, just some footage of that. I skipped ahead to about the one minute mark. Get to the good part. Yeah, so there's yeah, this little They're guy looking hanging at this out little on fish. the bottom. Oh, there goes a little shark. Zooming angle, along. Little bottom feeding shark Sharking guy. up a storm, being a shark. Little sort of rover cam. We're scooting around the bottom. There's yeah. a lot of dust that's been kicked up. So, oh, we're cutting again to... Now we're just kind of slowly working our way across the ocean floor. Right. And there's a shape up ahead. Yeah. We're getting closer to that shape. Oh. What the? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. It's just, it's, it looks kind of like, almost like a statue on the it bottom. It does of the look like a statue. 
two big beady eyes and a two weird eyes. Little, kind of mouth underneath, and it's just a big, round kind of lump. Lump, exactly. But those do look like eyes, sort of. Yeah. It may be just like barnacles on either side of uh, rock, though. Yeah, that's actually what some people have said too. Possibly barnacles, but it's um, just conspicuous placement. Because the one on the right side and the left side, they're both different sizes. Yeah, they are different sizes. It's interesting it's a, it's a weird though. looking thing but yeah, yeah it is so, quite so so that is the one video i found but there's a lot of goofy images i, I thought it was like <laughs> showing you the google image search results of just how many different things there are i'm but, gonna pull it up all right go for it because <laughs> though i put, chose the ones that seem like the the most archetypical iterations of what the ningen is meant to look like ningen um, and it is the first autocomplete after ing so and one I of G. them is like the, the third result. That one comes up all the time for like here? um a hoax mermaid photo photos or whatever. Right. That's a pretty common um shape that it doesn't it seem again to. the biology of it is it's just not a thing. It's just all wrong. So oh. it's, a, it's just a goofy looking thing. My There's goodness. a lot of just artwork people have made of their own concepts of what they think it might look like or could look like or should look like. Right. There's some uh, big finned versions. Yes. A lot of them have like arms with little hands. Yeah. Yeah, some of them trying to be creepy. Some of them have like divers in in the for scale. Too. Exactly. Interesting. So, we'll go back to quotes from that article again. Uh, there's sure. been a lot of speculate. Um, there's been a lot of speculation. A lot of speculated. There's been a lot of speculation. There's been a lot of speculation <laughs> that Ningen may have, uh, may be a heretofore unknown species of giant albino ray. Uh, I suppose it is not entirely beyond the realm of possibility to surmise that an odd species of huge ray-like fish. Might be naturally camouflaged or blend in with the floating icebergs and other frozen debris that infest its frigid home, but it's difficult to believe that a beast so bulky could remain unidentified, much less unseen, until the precipice of the 21st century. Yeah, right. I guess I hadn't read that last paragraph in detail, but yeah, purple pros, man, come on. Purple ass dial, pros. Dial it back. <laughs> He's like just hammering off on those keys right now. <laughs> Nevertheless, some scientists have speculated that human beings have managed to chronicle a mere 20% of the species living in the world's oceans. Considering this fact, the chances that large, unknown marine creatures could escape detection, especially if they primarily exist below the ice, improves dramatically. Mm. But as far as a big ray, like, sure, there are, I mean, manta rays get pretty good size. Yeah, they do. But the idea of Quite a... Quite good size. But not as big as is being described here. Like, no, it's just gigantic. This and, is like, yeah, Leviathan size. Yes, and the idea of it being a huge, like, white ray. We've never seen a white ray. It's as far strange, as being yeah. A, a breed. And they don't, like, rays don't really live outside of the tropics so much. Like, they, manta rays more so, but... Rays in general don't live in the polar sure. areas, but so in much. open, um, they're filter feeders. If I'm not mistaken, they primarily feed on plankton. Oh yeah, um, manta rays. Yes, manta rays. So, yeah. I'm thinking of. I'm trying to think of yeah, like I was the thinking of stingrays. That they open, kind of suck up. Oh stuff yes, the, right, right, right. I'm trying to think yeah. of the open water varieties. I think they do eat mostly small stuff. I you're think right. they sort of just swim around with their mouths ajar and <laughs> filter out tasty bits. And uh, yeah, I mean, I know other filter feeding creatures like many whales baleen whales for instance they get to massive size yeah but i don't know that they occupy a strictly arctic region i don't no, know that majority, zooplankton or plankton do so well there maybe i'm dead wrong they actually do, i don't know to a certain i mean so like they're um humpbacks and um blue whales and like the major those type of filter feeders will often migrate to both poles to do a lot of their feeding. Oh, I see. Okay. With the season and stuff. So stuff, okay. there'll be blooms and things, or the, whatever the stuff they want right, to eat. Right, go where the food's at. Exactly. Um, but they travel all over the damn place to get right. all that food, to be that big and, and to eat that much. And people much, fucking see them doing this. Right. Yes. 
And we know there's a very small handful of, say, blue whales in the world, like total. Right. But we see them. Right. Now, again, those are mammals, so they have to come up to breathe. Right. Uh, whereas a ray or something might be less obvious. But then if it's a white ray and it's if it's, a, if it's eating these small things, they tend to be nearer the surface anyway. And we have so many satellites and we have so many just like different ways you could see it from above. Exactly. These would probably come up more. And wouldn't be shaped the way that it's described. That's, that's the thing of it, too, is the shape of it, particularly where they have the sort of face, if you will, on the anterior side, like facing the bottom of the ocean, if you will. Yeah. Presumably, unless it's like doing the backstroke the whole time. But <laughs> yeah. either way, it's at such a disadvantageous position. Like, I don't know why. Especially with the human-like eye positioning. Like, I mean, it's binocular very vision, strange. Yeah. Binocular vision only makes sense for very specific um like applications exactly usually for space depth calculation exactly and if you're just swimming through the ocean filter feeding whatever you don't need depth perception you need just like a nice wide panoramic um view of what's happening right right like look at any whale their eyes are on either side of their head right exactly um so doesn't yeah the just nothing about the shape of the creature makes any biological sense as we've said right so what other thing, I mean, it could be maybe misidentified whales, like seeing a big old whale that you're not expecting <laughs> to see and and right. not really registering what it is you're seeing. Right. I mean, they because they are mammals, they do f- have a lot of similar body kind of shape to other mammals. So they have the kind of mermaid-like tail, like they're saying. They have two forelimbs. They're just fins. They have a head. I mean, a beluga is a lot smaller than what they're describing. It, it most matches the shape, but... Um, is so much smaller than what they would... It would have to be a baleen whale yeah. to be that big. Right, right, right. So that doesn't seem super likely either. I think if people actually ever have seen these things and they're not outright fabricated, right. probably the most likely thing is just ice. Ice makes sense to me too. I really like that idea a lot. Which, I mean, I hate to have that always be the answer to these things. Oh, it's, just, <laughs> it's just ice. It's just ice. But ice tends to be like it can take any shape at all. Right. And it can float around and tumble around. And right. you don't know how much, like, maybe I would say the tip of the iceberg, and there's so much more under the water you can't see. If it does happen to roll over, all kinds of weird shapes can be revealed. It can look like it's diving. It can do all kinds of just strange things. So true. And if you're in, you know, in polar regions, north or south, you're already in a pretty alien environment that you're not used to. And especially if you're in the open ocean and suddenly there's a great big white thing there where there hasn't been anything up until then. Right. I mean, rogue ice, I said rogue ice cubes, rogue, rogue ice cubes, rogue icebergs can kind of take off from whatever glacier <laughs> they broke off from and last a while if it's cold enough. And if suddenly you encounter this thing out in the middle of the ocean like that, it's going to kind of freak you out. Yeah, it easily could, especially if it's like, Oh, there it is. And there, there it's not like, right. I definitely saw some creature. It makes me think, too, potentially a recently deceased whale that may be sort of full of air and thus Mm. buoyant for a time. Yeah. I know whales typically sink pretty quick, but if maybe someone saw one briefly and it was flipped on its back or something you see... The pale underbelly. The pale underbelly or something like this. They tend to be countershaded, dark on top, light on the bottom, so whichever side you're on, you can't really see them as well. Quite so. Blending with whatever's above or below. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that it could be... What it probably isn't is a big humanoid giant creature thing. <laughs> a Zora from Zelda. Yes. <laughs> a giant Zora from Zelda. So So that's my winter slash southern summer tale. <laughs> I like that one. The frosty seas. Yes. 
Well, there you guys have it. And, and uh, uh, one last thing before we go, Wyatt. Oh, yeah. Uh, this being the last episode, not everyone celebrates every holiday. That would be exhausting. But right. um, we happen to be uh, taking a little break to celebrate Christmas. That's true. And uh, in order to celebrate that there holiday, I do have something for you right oh now. Oh, my God. How am I? This thing is like six foot by seven foot, dude. How am I supposed to open this? <laughs> here, let me hold your uh, mic for you. Oh, okay. And actually, here, let me turn on this light as well so we can get your real-time reactions All if right. you want. Oh, my. Maybe I should get some uh, sound in there, too. So this is Ooh. from me and and Wyatt's girlfriend. We pitched in together and got Wyatt this here. Very Wyatt oh themed. Oh, my God. <laughs> I like this very much. Yay. This. So what I have in my hands. Actually, you know what? I'll probably wear this at the end so that the yeah, we'll after get a shot for sure i like this very much i'll describe it now though yeah. this is a very nice knit black sweater and um on the front stitch in is sort of like a cool yeti he almost looks like he's got shades on to me which i like <laughs> very much but there's a there's a sasquatch yeti type thing on the front i think the name of the pattern was sassy sasquatch sassy sasquatch <laughs> couldn't ask for anything more this is awesome thank you so much jake you're very welcome Oh, my God. That is cool. All right. Well, we're going to be gone for a week as far as you know. We're going to be here for another hour as far as we know. That's right. And so but, uh, uh, enjoy your your new winter solstice. And if you're in the northern hemisphere, enjoy the first day of summer if you're in the south. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. I know uh, we actually both know someone who's heading home to Australia right now. Oh, that's right. And uh, hope they're having a good good time at home. And yeah, everyone else have a great winter and great time doing the winter <laughs> stuff <laughs> snowball fights thanks Angels. for listening we'll see you next week see you next week bye, bye. <laughs>